the New Money Review podcast, The Future of Money in 30 Minutes. I'm Paul Amory, the editor of New Money Review. I set up New Money Review in 2018 to cover the changes in money, which are getting faster, more chaotic and more confusing. This podcast aims to shine a light on those changes. New types of money arrive out of nowhere, like Bitcoin. Cryptocurrencies are incredibly volatile. Some are undoubtedly scams. But are others true stores of value? Payments get faster, cheaper and digital. But cash is still there and in increasing demand. The less well-off need it, and so do those with something to hide, from the taxman or the police. And where does this leave our traditional money, our dollars, pounds, euros and yen? The New Money Review podcast takes a big picture look at all these trends and at their impact on society. It's not just money that's changing, but technology, finance, law, government and culture with it. Each week we interview a leading expert on one or more of these topics. By listening to the podcast, you can stay up to date with what's going on in money. Hopefully the podcast will give you some insights for what may lie ahead. If you enjoy this New Money Review podcast, Please like it and share it with your friends and network. Your recommendations make a big difference to us. My guest on this episode of the podcast is Jonas Gross, who is an academic based in Germany and a specialist on central bank digital currency. Welcome to the New Money Review podcast. Could you start by telling listeners a bit about yourself and your area of work? Yeah, of course. Thanks, Paul, for having me. So I'm basically addressing the topic of digital money from a few different perspectives. First, I'm currently a PhD candidate at the University of Bayreuth, where I basically, um, yeah, coming from the scientific academic perspective to this topic. And besides that, I'm working for the Frankfurt School Blockchain Center, which is a think tank here in Germany, more looking into the implications of DLT and blockchain has, so both for business models, but also for financial markets and whole, um, whole economies, if you will. And then last but not least, the third angle is my position as a founder of the Digital Euro Association, where we have basically established a think tank just last year that uh, yeah, is kind of related to digital money. So we basically address all, all different topics of digital money there, be it education, webinars, um, reports, uh, for example, also later on. So I guess similar to the topics you are also um, addressing in your um, podcast here. Yeah, thank you very much. So last week, the Economist magazine devoted a full issue, its weekly issue to what it calls GovCoins, in other words, central bank digital currencies, calling them the digital currencies that will transform finance. Do you agree with this statement? Yeah, I think they definitely have the potential to do so. However, I also think it heavily depends on the design. So if a CBDC is designed very innovatively, so basically mainly also enabling programmable money and substituting bank deposits because it's just being so attractive, it has definitely the potential to disrupt financial markets. Um, and to be really a game changer. However, if in the end a CBDC is designed, and this is actually what I would basically vote for, to be just a, a digital um, version of cash, if you will, right? So just mimicking cash in a digital world, then um, it's still innovative because, um, yeah, just having a cash in this digital form is, is, is a tough one also to implement. But from an, um, an um, attractiveness perspective, it's similar to cash and shouldn't really disrupt um, whole financial markets in the end. Okay. Could you update us on where the European Central Bank and other European authorities are with regards to the possible introduction of a digital euro? 
Of course, yeah, there's lots of stuff going on in the Euro area. So uh, just in a few months ago, there has actually been uh, launched uh, uh, um, the reports of the consultation. So what the ECB did just last October, they published a report on the digital euro and asked the general public what they basically think. So and what, for example, basic properties and requirements of a digital euro should be. And the ECB just um, outlined the results um, just a few um, months ago. As I said, we, I'm sure we talk about this later on as well. And currently, the ECB is in the position to um, yeah, think about and analyzing whether a digital euro should indeed be, be introduced. So no decision has been taken here, actually. But um, it is expected that in June and July, the ECB will uh, start uh, a project of the, uh, regarding the digital euro. And so the announcement will be there. I think they will start a project, even if this does not mean that a CBDC will be introduced soon. And this is just basically a, a first step on a very long road, if you will. Yeah, I wanted to ask you um, if if the introduction of a digital currency by or the potential introduction is a is a proactive or a defensive step. Because I read in the uh, one of the papers published by the European Central Bank that the digital euro could be issued for a number of reasons. One is to support the digitalization of the European economy. Two is in response to a significant decline in the role of cash. Three, if they, if the European authorities felt there was a significant potential for foreign CBDCs or private digital money to be widely used in, in Europe. Uh, four, as a new monetary policy transmission channel. Five, to mitigate risks to the normal provision of payment services. And six, to foster the international role of the euro. So it's quite a wide-ranging uh, <laughs> yeah. potential uh, uses of this digital euro. You know, where, do you think they're, where do you think they're concentrating their, their – or what, what are they particularly focused on as far as you can see? Yeah, so I think it's definitely um, a reactive approach and not a proactive one, which is, of course, um, more, uh, yeah, or very often done by central banks, of course. So I think it's basically um, two key trends that are observable for the ECB to look into this topic. The first one is just the declining use of cash as a means of payment. This is basically ongoing for more than one uh, decade, but has now uh, tremendously accelerated due to um, COVID, where people now pay less and less with cash. And the second development that's going on is currently that I would say non-fiat denominated means of payment increase in importance. So what this basically means is all these crypto space, crypto projects going on and also stable coins that are more and more entering the market. And some of them potentially having uh, yeah, at least the potential for tremendous impact, for example, when I look at DM. So I think this is basically the two motivations why the ECB now looks at it. And I think when it comes to the digital euro, what the main goals in the end currently are, and I think this is also related to the motivation, is mainly to preserve monetary sovereignty. So to establish a payment infrastructure that works independently of other countries and is just solely governed um, basically by the, um, yeah, by the um, euro area in the end and by the ECB. Um, I think this is really important. And the second is to establish a payment system that is uh, resilient and where, um, yeah, also, um, which also works in times of crisis um, and is not dependent on the private sector. Yeah, um, thank you for, for covering that. I, I noticed, uh, I mean, you mentioned the uh, consultation that the European Central Bank recent, recently conducted with uh, European citizens, and I had a look through the responses to that, and I noticed that the um, the desire, desired features of the central bank digital currency uh, seem to be different from one country to a next to the next. For example, when citizens were asked if you know how many what percentage of citizens ranked the privacy of the digital currency as the most important potential feature, uh, over fifty percent of Germans said it was, and about half 
of uh, Dutch and Austrian respondents said about, said privacy was the most important feature, but it was under 20% of Italians and under 30% of Spanish and Portuguese Portuguese respondents. So my question is, how can a a digital euro um, reflect the differing needs of European citizens in different countries, which have, uh, as we know, it's a a, a, uh, Europe of sovereign states, some of which have got quite different uh, attitudes towards money, savings, digitalization and so on. I think this is really a, a difficult task for the central bank. And this was also one of the um, toughest tasks for the ECB in the in the first years of the currency unions and also the latest years to really make a monetary policy and also provide here a CBDC that basically fulfills all the, the needs, right? And all the perspectives of every nation. So I think it's re- really not possible because the countries are really, really diverse and have also very diverse um, yeah, preferences, of course, right? And, and also historical um, memories and um, also here um, the developments when it comes, for example, to privacy. So here in Germany, privacy is really, really key. Um, I personally would say in the end, just introduce the CBDC that, for example, is private, right? So just to have this privacy aspect, because I think in the end, if privacy is there, it's not a really an issue for um, for member countries that did not vote for privacy to now have privacy. But I think the other way around, so having transparent payments when people want privacy, I think this is more, uh, more tough. And I, I also think that this privacy road should be taken in the end. Yeah, so Germans uh, in in kind of the um, maybe it's a simplified view, but in, in a lot of articles and studies I've read, uh, it's, have, it's been pointed out that they have a, a strong preference for transacting in cash. Uh, I guess because of the privacy features of and anonymity features of, of cash. So you're saying that that uh, that the, the digital euro really should carry on these features uh, as far as possible if it's going to be accepted. Exactly. Yeah. So for me, um, a CBDC should mainly be digital cash, meaning also enable, uh, enabling private payments, being not remunerated, um, also providing resilience, also offline payments. Right. So this is actually how yeah easy kind of right to perceive. Right. So just having a cash in a, a cash in a digital world. That's at least what I envision um, a CBDC and how I personally would also um, introduce a, a digital euro if I was in the position. Yeah. So how does how then would a digital euro fit into the broader European debate about online privacy, the importance of safeguarding individuals data and the debate over online identity? Because Europe has taken a a particular stance on that in in, on a a global uh, uh, basis. You know, the Europe has tended to strike out quite strongly for the rights of the individual for the protection of individual data. So how would the digital currency affect that debate? For sure, yeah. I mean, basically, the technology is there to do both. So CBDC can be kind of fully transparent if you you want, right? Because this is what you basically think when you think of a digital currency that data are stored somehow in a a, um, a digital way, right? So there are some data that are accessible for um, for for uh, for specific parties, um, this is maybe more the direction China takes when it comes to their CBDC project. However, also on the other um, on the other side, it's also possible to basically have a fully private payments. So also technology is there. If we think, for example, about uh, zero knowledge proofs that are more and more used, so cryptographic um, elements that not really reveal all information, but just and um, basically that uh, p- parts of it, if you will. 
Um, so technology is basically ready. So it depends on the, the deci decision of the central bank in the end and what the central bank wants to do. Um, but I'm also very thrilled to be part of a, of a research project where we basically look into this. So where we basically have developed a prototype for a CBDC that enables private payments, but also complies with the regulation, with the, which is, of course, also an essential, essential step. But technology is, is ready, at least. So the idea then would be to have uh, full anonym anonymity up to a certain transaction amount or cumulative amount and then something tied to a digital identity for transactions above a certain amount. Exactly, exactly. So if you are below a specific limit, you can transact completely um, anonymous. As for example, today with e-money, you have a specific threshold also for cash where you don't have to do the KYC. And if you exceed the threshold, then basically um, you, you have to provide your, uh, you have to identify yourself and have to provide um, KYC. So um, this definitely these uh, two different, uh, different payment rails, if you want. And we also envision a system where we indeed use a digital identity for that. So that uh, basically it has to be ensured that one uh, client can just open up one account because otherwise this limits would of course lose in, in importance and in meaning. And we envision this with a digital ID would in theory also work with a different setup, but this would be the most efficient um, way to do it. Yeah. And do you think the European Central Bank will will head in that direction? Because I've seen in the past they've uh, their responses have d differed or they've changed a bit over time when it comes to the potential anonymity of a digital euro. Yeah, I mean, they basically did the consultation to ask people what they want for the digital euro. So I, I think the ECB wanted to, to communicate, wanted to see what other people's, uh, what the, the general public basically wants. So I think they now have to consider this at least, right? Yeah. So um, I hope, of course, that it will in the end be a CBDC that is also um, private, again, maybe up until a specific um, cap. But I'm also quite sure that ECB will very carefully look at it, as I said, yeah. because this is also one of the, the core um, insights we have gained from uh, the, the consultation of the digital euro by the ECB, where most people voted in the euro area to have an, an privacy and anonymity for a CBDC. And you're also totally right. So what we do is basically we link our transaction to a digital identity. So we are actually thinking about a very innovative future world where there is a, a digital identity available. However, we also want to stress if this is maybe too innovative um, at these days, you can also do this with a just uh, by just ensuring a, another system that people can just open up one account. So if an identity is not necessary, for example, banks or also the central bank could just basically maintain a database where um, it's basically registered who basically has participated in the system and not. But for us, it's just essential that a, per a party can just open one account because otherwise this limits doesn't make sen sense anymore if you yeah. can um, open more accounts. Yeah. So how does this framework uh, compare with others uh, that we think might be available globally? We've, we've talked already a little bit about China where there seems to be an, uh, a design feature that everything is visible, at least at, uh, the, the transactions are encrypted, but ultimately the, the, the government authorities can see the transactions. What about the rest of the world? There's increasing talk of a digital dollar. There are already some CBDCs uh, in prototype or a couple in, in use. Now, how, do the, how, does the, how do the privacy features of the digital euro, how are they likely to compare against the other ones around the world? Yeah, so, I mean, what we currently see is that basically two CBDCs are live yet, which is in the Bahamas and in the Eastern Caribbean um, currency union. I know that they also have, um, at least in the Bahamas, a system that is kind of, I mean, similar in a sense that there is also a threshold where below the threshold, data are more private than if you exceed the threshold. However, this is from my perspective, not really 
a pure privacy, how I define privacy. So um, under the threshold, still the central bank and the bank can access transaction details. And for me, this is not privacy. For me, it's really just private if no other party really sees the data. Um, so I think um, our concept is very diff uh, different from the systems that currently exist, which have not put um, such a focus on, on privacy yet. Um, what about the question of interest rates and the remuneration on CBDC? Several European countries have had negative policy interest rates for several years now. Uh, how would that be? Would that be replicated in a digital euro in the, I guess, in the part that's above a, a threshold for private transactions? Yeah, that's that's a good one. So, I mean, we can definitely also in our prototype um, introduce um, remuneration, but maybe let's let's go back um, from our prototype to the general uh, general discussion. So, I mean, this is of course a very sensitive topic. Um, so, for example, here in Germany, of course, um, Germans on average do not really like these uh, negative remunerations. Of course, I think as most people um, worldwide. So it's you you have to be very careful. So also the ECB, you have mentioned the different scenarios. It says that it can be also used for monetary policy purposes. So in theory, also negative rates on CBDC yeah. are imaginable. But um, I think if a CBDC may start um, in a few years, it will start with a non-remunerated version as cash today. Um, right. However, what I personally fear is whenever tools are maybe like, um, yeah, maybe the central bank doesn't have any tools more left, right? So if government bond markets are basically um, kind of uh, kind of empty, if you want, I, I could imagine that this could be um, a new monetary policy tool just maybe in one decade or in two or whenever a severe crisis is that this tool is, is exploited in the end. I, I fear so. I don't hope so, but I fear so. However, as long as we have cash, for me personally, that's not a really big issue because you can always convert your, your money into cash if you want a, an, an, an asset that has zero remuneration, right? So this right. is just getting a very severe threat whenever cash really vanishes, um, which I do not see in the near or, or medium term future here in Europe. Yeah, but introducing us a digital currency with, uh, with zero remuneration, so uh, you know, at a fixed nominal face value uh, is, is risky, isn't it? If you've got uh, government bond markets around you that are negative yields and bank accounts paying negative interest rates on deposits, you could you could destabilize the system quite quite quickly. You could cause a run out of one type of uh, cash holding to another and, uh, and really cause havoc with the way that the monetary system operates. That's you get really it wrong. No, that's that's actually a really interesting aspect. I mean, in, in markets where rates are mainly negative, even a CBDC that is just zero remunerated can be very attractive and could also disrupt this market. I mean, how I personally see it is for me, a CBDC is, as I said in the beginning, a form of digital cash, right? And I mean, cash is not remunerated. Cash is anonymous. Cash is yeah. um, offline usable. And for me, a CBDC should basically be the same, if you will, just in a digital form. Um, but I agree that in a market with highly negative rates, this is also an issue. However, I really, really hope that rates, of course, will become um, yeah, positive or at least closer to zero very soon again, that we actually do not even have to talk about uh, such uh, implications when we think about the digital euro maybe be uh, going live in five to, to or four to six years uh, here in Europe. Yeah. Do you think the designers of the digital euro are thinking about the competitiveness of the euro against the dollar? Because these are the two major reserve currencies of the world. The dollar obviously has a bigger footprint than the euro, but the euro's share of foreign exchange reserves has been has been going up. You know, what, what do you think they're thinking about that, and what what might they do to increase the attractiveness of the euro? Mm. 
I think it's not the key goal. However, I think they also have it in their mind. Because when we think about the six scenarios you just outlined um, in the beginning, yeah. I think like the sixth one is also supporting the role of the, the international role of the euro, basically. Yeah. If the European Union decides to get or to, to in the end, want to reach a situation where the euro is more important, a CBDC could be a good tool for that. Um, however, I think here a lot is about timing. So if now the ECB goes live with the digital euros, just, in, just in, as an example, a few years before the Fed, maybe two or three years, this could really attract and people that are kind of indifferent between the digital euro and the digital dollar to yeah. get them basically into the CBDC if foreign access allowed, is allowed. I mean, this is a completely yeah. uh, topic on, on its own, right? Yes, um, absolutely. But I think here it's a lot, a lot about timing and But this can also go in the other direction. So if we look into China, where the, the um, digital currency might potentially go live already next year, which is for sure a few years before the euro, uh, the euro area and the ECB, yeah. this could also go into the other direction. Yeah. You mean uh, with outsiders wanting to, to uh, own the digital renminbi? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So basically kind of putting pressure on the euro and the dollar. I mean, it will not def not disrupt this overnight and that uh, the, yes. the yuan will be the number one currency. I think there is lots of um, norms and value behind the dollar and the, the yeah. um, euro compared to, to the yuan. However, yeah. I think that just the, the tendency and the composition, I think currently it's just 2% of, of global yeah. reserves of the yuan. But I think this could easily increase um, at least reaching maybe double double digits if the other central banks are a very um, large amount of years um, yeah, basically behind compared to China. Yeah, so the, the geopolitical uh, aspects of this digital money movement or di central bank digital currency movement should not be underestimated. They are really important uh, if you're looking at the long term. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Yeah. Just today I read an interview, I think it was in Bloomberg, where also a central bank official in China said they are not doing it to basically uh, fight against the dollar. Yeah. But I mean, this is again communication well, that's versus. That's what they would you expect them to say. Yeah, what would you they, exactly. not say the opposite? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. it really has struck me that uh, in in the in the area of digital currency more generally and the the market for cryptocurrencies and digital assets that there's been a that the, the Chinese have, have taken a quite a strict approach to um, allowing. Let's say they didn't allow a. a, 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 a a private version of the yuan to, to circulate because Tether wanted to have a, a, a yuan version of itself, but the Chinese authorities um, shut that down and even, I think, prosecuted the people who uh, who suggested it, whereas the, 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 you've got private versions of the dollar circulating, you know, on a very large scale already. And, and that's uh, – so there's a, lot of, um, there's a lot of competition out there already, not just between states, but between state actors and – non-state actors so some of whom are very you know whose ownership and motivations are very unclear so it's a it's really a uh, chaotic situation i would say uh, i don't know whether you agree It really, it really is. And I'm really looking forward to seeing how the EU basically approaches this topic. Because yeah. as you might know, currently there is um, a law proposed, um, so called Mika, which is discussed yeah. and has been, um, has been basically, um, yeah, as, established as a suggestion by the EU Commission, which is basically about regulated, Euro, regulating Euro stable coins. This is um, market in, markets in crypto. Exactly. Markets direct, in crypto. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which was, it was published last year and is still going through the, 
legislative process in exactly Europe. so it's currently discussed i think in national parliaments so it's also not for sure how it will basically um be be set into put into force but yeah. i mean the first draft said that uh, these these currencies uh, the stable coins are are to be or have to be regulated similar to e-money and this yeah. is really interesting because then this money has to be fully backed right no um, interest rates are possible and so ever yeah. so this was was quite interesting to see and i'm really looking forward to seeing how and if this will will change mm -hmm. before coming into force But but here uh, maybe one last comment is also we have seen that euro stable coins are not important at all. So if we yes. look into the top 10, it's all US dollar backed, and then there is Dai, which is backed by crypto. But yeah. euro stable coins are really uh, really lacking uh, lacking behind, and will also not thrive in the next years because yeah, regulation is not put into force. So I think they might not enter the market due to this uncertainty. And do negative interest rates have something to do with that as well? I and mean, presumably, it's more difficult to operate a stable coin backed by euro assets if you have uh, constant depreciation of the of the nominal amount uh, of the backing. Definitely, yeah. I mean, e-money could could be uh, could be invested into government bonds, of course, but yeah. they are negative remunerated. Also, money put couldn't be put on bank deposits. Here, also, I think on average, negative for large amounts. I mean, it's not as negative as for for um, for for government bonds, but it's definitely not as um, as greatly remunerated as a few years ago, right? Where you could yeah. put money in a bank account, got a four four percent reward, maybe fifteen years yeah. ago. So it's definitely a struggling for for um, stablecoin providers and all for their business models. Yeah, um, and. So you know, returning to the overall opportunities and risks, um, what, what, what are the things that you, you think should be in the digital euro that you know, are still being discussed and are uncertain? You know, what, what could they be missing out on if they don't get the design right? Well, you know, what are the possible upsides? Yeah. So I think from a central bank perspective, you mentioned kind of the, the most important one also in your six scenarios you just outlined. So from a central bank, it can be used. It's a resilient payment system that works in times of crisis, right? Independent yeah. of the, the private uh, sector in the end, preserve monetary sovereignty could provide a monetary policy tool. And I mean, for clients, it's also quite promising, I think, and for the end user, because in the end, it could enable cheaper and faster payments. Also more convenient payments because lots yeah. of people perceive cash payments as like not that convenient, right? You have to store it. You have to carry your, um, bring your wallet with you in the end. And I think here again, the privacy aspect is for me a real advantage because compared to Apple Pay, Google Pay, whatsoever, MasterCard payments, really data can be private. But this again, as we discussed, depends on the design and if the central bank also wants to follow such a CBDC system that is um, private in the end. So this is about benefits. And when we come to risks, I think there are mainly two key risks currently observable. The one is about security or to be more precise, IT security, because we yeah. have a digital payment system that can be hacked and it has, has it really has to be tested thoroughly before basically being established. And the second one is this aspect of uh, financial disintermediation or these negative yeah. financial stability concerns. Because yeah. lots of people fear that a CBDC could, in times of crisis, lead to the fact that people deposit most of their money not with banks, but with um, central banks, because they fear that their money could kind of be lost if, if banks, for example, become um, illiquid or bankrupt. And I think this is an issue the central bank has to look at. However, I think there are also lots of ways to, to mitigate this. Um, so, for example, introducing a cap, also introducing negative remuneration for exceeding a specific threshold again. 
or also um, this um, pass-through funding, um, which is discussed in literature. And we also did research yeah. on that. Basically, if a substantial amount of deposit is lost, then um, banks can turn to the central bank and they can basically then grant um, other, uh, uh, yeah, basically collateralized loans in the end. Um, so lots of lots of different ways. Um, yeah, um, we, we, I'm very curious to see how the ECB decides in the end. But it, it, it really goes hand in hand with the question of attractiveness. So as I stressed before, I don't think like independently how the CBDCs design that overnight most people will just use it for everything, right? This is just a, a, a process for many years, probably maybe also for decades. So I personally am not sure if this disintermediation is indeed such a, a great um, threat because, yeah, in the beginning, CBDC will not be that innovative and that attractive that it will basically substitute a bank money kind of completely or to a large scale. Yeah, and on the and on the the, you know, the technology side, the risk of the you know the infrastructure not being designed correctly, being unsafe or hackable. You know how how big a risk is this? It struck me when reading about CBDCs that uh, every country is doing its own thing. There's no single um, there's no single model that everybody's following. Undoubtedly, people have different national interests, and countries have got different requirements for different types of payments within the, within their territories. But it, it's still striking that there are so many different uh, designs of of this CBDC, and you know, presumably some of them are going to work well, and some of them might not. You know, what a, how how big a risk is it that yeah. the design is, is 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 too complex and doesn't work, or something goes wrong? I mean, there is definitely such a risk. So I think what a central bank can do to mitigate this is, or yeah, to mitigate, not not to completely remove it, but to mitigate it is just really long time of testing. So that yeah. you really take maybe um, as China currently does it uh, two or three years to just test the final, the, the, the final developed platform, if you will. Um, second, I would also suggest basically using a technology that is not very, very novel. So if you, for example, think about a, a DLT that has just appeared last year or two years ago, I personally would not use it for such a great um, infrastructure in the end. Um, so I think here it's, it's, it's good to rely on a technology that is used for, for many decades, maybe also open source because then errors might have been detected. But yeah, this is, of course, um, a decision by central banks if they want to look into open source or maybe just not open source and protocols that exist for, for forever. I mean, we haven't talked about it today. Also here, maybe one, one comment about technology. It doesn't have to be a DLT um, no. in the end that it's used, right? I mean, we also did some research on that on the blockchain center side, and there are definitely pros. There are also cons. But in the end, for me, it's just the, the, the technology, basically the backbone of the system. So first, it should be set out how the system should be, which features it should have. And if then DLT is the technology, then a DLT should be used. But if then a centralized ledger seems better for whatever reasons, reaching the goals the central banks have, then um, I personally would, would go for a centralized um, system in the yeah. end. Yeah. And, and Jonas, you know, you've made it clear during this uh, discussion that we're talking about a multi-year project here. It's going to take probably the best part of this decade for the thing to arrive and to be fully implemented. Uh, in the next you know, year or so, what, what are the key events or publications or decisions that you're monitoring to see how well this is progressing? Yeah. So for the ECB side, it's, of course, like the decision that's supposed to come in June or July if a digital euro project will start. I think this is like obviously the first um, afterwards, um, I assume that ECB will really look into what the digital euro should do in the end. So what's the use case? Which features should it have? And this is, of course, really essential also for the future development. Um, so I think this is also 
it has to be monitored if there are um, also publications appearing. However, I think if the ECB decides now in the summer, it could easily take one year or more until a report about um, other topics is basically out. I mean, what I, where I would everybody suggest to take a look is the publications by the Bank for International Settlements on CBDCs, because they are definitely on the forefront. They are also talking to central banks directly, and I really enjoy reading them a lot. And maybe the third suggestion or maybe event I'm kind of, I wouldn't say waiting for, but I'm looking at is the, the Diem project. Because yes. they also announced, we, we also had um, one, um, one member and an, um, yeah, working for the DM Association, our podcast. And here he basically also said that in theory, if the regulator approves their payment system license in Switzerland, they would be ready to start this year. I mean, lots of would and ifs. But yes. if this license would be there and DM would, uh, would start, this would indeed be a very interesting event to see. Um, and also how and if it substitutes other payment infrastructures or whatsoever. So, yeah, this is something I'm definitely also looking at. Did they mention which currencies they might start with? Or is it just a, a, a one currency to, at the beginning? Yeah, it, it's not 100% sure. I mean, it will definitely be not the euro because just yeah. due to this legal uncertainty, um, there was this newslet, a newspaper article out which said it could be the dollar. I think this could indeed uh, could indeed be be the case um, that it's basically allowed in some U.S. Um, states um, in the end. Um, yeah, so I personally would would expect it to be the the dollar. However, they haven't told me this directly, so this is also yeah. a little bit of speculating from my side. Yeah, but Facebook clearly has very long term ambitions in this area, so it's uh, it's important to watch what they're what they're doing. Yeah. yeah, and lots of companies also have licenses in the U.S., um, yeah. so it it, it might it might just make make sense there. Jonas, thank you very much for a very interesting discussion. It's been a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you, Paul. It was really my pleasure. Thanks for asking. And yeah, let's definitely keep, keep in touch. Look forward to staying in touch. Thank you for listening to this episode of the New Money Review podcast, The Future of Money in 30 Minutes. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like it, share it, or tell a friend about it. At our website, newmoneyreview.com, you can also sign up to our newsletter, which will keep you informed of all New Money Review articles and podcasts. If you'd like to support us, you can do so via Patreon or using cryptocurrency. Details of how to do this are on the homepage of our website in the right column. Finally, please join us soon for our next episode.